the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. And a good morning to you. It is indeed Always Right Radio at 7 minutes after 9 o'clock. We're underway on this Tuesday. It's the 23rd morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2024. Is this month moving really fast? I don't know why. I just, uh, you know, I count these down every day. Of course, I give you that date at the top of every hour and remind you that we are indeed in the year of our Lord, 2024. And uh, it just seems like it's cruising. I don't know. It feels like yesterday was New Year's Day. And here we are 23 days in now. So how about that? Uh, at any rate, it's a big day because it's a Tuesday, and that means it's Cursinow Day. Peter will be joining us to analyze and discuss all that matters in the state of Ohio and across the country from his perch uh, on the Civil Rights Commission, so that'll be coming up at 1010. We're going to talk to a congressional candidate at 1110. Chris Banweg is running for Ohio 13. I interviewed uh, Kevin Coughlin, who is also running for that. Kevin Coughlin is a uh, former state representative and state senator now running for Congress. He's been out of politics since around 2010, 2011. And I asked him about his challenger, uh, Chris Banweg, for this Republican primary, you know, in this Republican primary race. And he said he didn't know much about him. Uh, I didn't either. So we're going to find out. That's an important one. Uh, so Chris Banweg will join us. J.D. Vance has endorsed him, by the way, for what that's worth. Uh, we may have to talk about that, but Chris Bandweg will join me in uh, at eleven ten this morning. And as you know <clears throat> full well, the biggest uh, uh, election in the state of Ohio now—it's not the presidential primary because obviously it's going to be long over by the time we get here. Uh, with uh, Ron DeSantis dropping out and Nikki Haley soon to do the same after she gets dusted in New Hampshire and in uh, South Carolina, which is uh, pretty much a lock and guarantee according to the numbers. Um, so it's not going to matter here. The biggest race here is going to be, obviously, the Senate race. 
And last night there was a big Senate debate between, uh, or among, I should say, the three candidates in the Republican primary. Trump endorsed Bernie Moreno, Secretary of State um, Frank LaRose, and State Senator Matt Dolan. And uh, it was interesting. It was a very, I watched the entire debate. Uh, I thought it was pretty well handled by the moderators, uh, Joe Tui and Colleen Marshall. I thought it was a pretty good, uh, you know, pretty pretty well moderated debate. I thought the questions were pretty much fair. Everybody got equal time. They got opportunities to respond to one another. It's a good debate. And obviously, Republicans like me and maybe like you, if you're one, and I presume that most people are who are listening to this broadcast, um, have to decide not only which of them do we like best, whether it comes to policy or personality or a combination thereof, but which of them is best positioned to beat Sherrod Brown? Because it's not just about serving the people of Ohio, and I know that's going to sound almost blasphemous because we send our representatives to Congress, both in the House and the Senate, to represent us and our interests and our needs, and of course that's important. Um, but it's not just about representing us in, you know, here in Ohio in, in D.C. It's about the majority, it's about making sure we have a Republican majority after the November election. And Sherrod Brown has got to go in order to make that happen. So which of those three is best positioned to beat Sherrod Brown is just as important as which of them has the policies that make me uh, the most, you know, um, uh, that I'm most in agreement with. So I'm told we do have one of those candidates on the line right now. And so let's welcome uh, the Trump-backed candidate who took part in that debate last night, which we watched on Fox 8, uh, Cleveland businessman Bernie Marino. Bernie Marino, good to have you back on our program here. How are you, good sir? I am great, Bob. Thank you for having me. So a really interesting debate last night. Before I give you any of my observations, tell me how you felt when it started. Tell me how you felt when it ended. Well, I mean, it was clear that they wanted to take shots at me because they've seen the polling where I'm up 16, 17 points on those guys. I, I would have preferred that debate focused on our vision of the future. What are we going to do to help Ohio? How are we going to actually secure the border, solve inflation, uh, end the wokeness and uh, out-of-control government in our education? Uh, I had to defend myself, unfortunately, so we spent too much time on that. But other than that, I agree with you. I thought the moderators did a nice job. And keeping it fair. So when it was over, did you walk away with that feeling inside? Maybe you didn't say it out loud, but with that feeling that said nailed it. Or did you walk away going, I don't know. Uh, I, 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 I don't know if, it, if the needle moved at all for anybody. How did you feel? Well, I always think that we can do better. I've, that's how I've built my businesses. I never am complacent, so always room for improvement. Uh, I mean, the one highlight of the, uh, the debate to me, Bob, that was, Kind of, I, I didn't take the shot because it's just too easy. When Matt Dolan was talking about how we have to end wokeness, and if that were true, you and I would be cheering for the Indians. So I just thought that was just the moment for me that was a little odd. Yeah, that was that that jumped out to me too. Um, I, I did get a little bit. Uh, let me re, let me start over. Um, I sent a few text messages to people whose opinion I value, and I received a few even this morning, a couple of new ones um, asking, and we asked one another, "Who do you think won?" And I have to be honest with you, Bernie, it was very, very mixed. Um, some people said Ty, some people said Bernie Moreno, some people said Matt Dolan, some said LaRose uh, seemed a little stiff, but uh, but I like his answer. So I'm getting a little bit of everything. So I guess the real question is, is did the needle move, in your opinion? Or And I know you said you feel like you can always do better, and I get that. But do you think this moved the needle, and what is it going to take to put this thing away as we get to March? 
I think there's two things. I think, number one, obviously, President Trump's endorsement, uh, to use Frank LaRose's words, is decisive. <laughs> I think people want to know that you're when you're in the United States Senate that you're going to have his back to get the America First agenda implemented. I think that's important. Well, we've sent way too many Republicans uh, to Washington, D.C., that cave. And so the idea that President Trump has vetted you out and said, you know, this guy's going to work with me hand in hand, uh, having the support of J.D. Vance and Jim Jordan kind of uh, adds to that. And then I think most importantly, Bob, is what I said at the end. We can't fix D.C. by continuing to send career politicians down there. As you know, I've vowed to serve, if I have the honor of being elected, two terms. My wife says it more clearly, third term, second wife. But this is about service <laughs> and not about a career. And I think that's the key difference. Because when you make it a career, somebody who's always thinking about their next election, that's when they compromise for their own political gain. That's not going to happen with me. And I think as that becomes clearer to the voters, those two elements, I think we're going to win this thing handily. Um, can I play devil's advocate on that for a moment, Bernie? Of course. I love Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz has served two terms, I believe. I want him to serve a third. Uh, I don't. I can't imagine the Senate without his leadership and his conservative vision. If Bernie Marino is a spectacular success for two terms, I'm going to be really mad if we have a toss-up in the Senate now with uh, no incumbent, all because he made a pledge to only serve two terms. I'm going to say, Bernie Marino, get your get your rear end back in the in the chair, man. You're doing a great job, and we can't surrender that seat. So I, I get your point. About career politicians, you're obviously right about that, but I also see a downside if I get a great senator in there who's who's going to leave on principle when he's doing great work for for the country. Well, it's incumbent upon me, like I did in my companies, Bob, to make sure that we have a succession plan that we're out there identifying great business people, people who've done something in our lives, who are ready to serve their country. You know, two terms is twelve years. That's a long time. I by the time my second term is over, I'm almost going to be seventy years old at that point. Uh, I'm good. I mean, I guess at that point in time, uh, we need to have people with a different perspective. So what I'm going to be working on is make sure that we bring other people along that are strong conservatives, that understand the issues, want to serve the country, have worked successfully in the private sector, not just re- you know, decide, hey, I'm leaving, and then three months later, you know, we have to find a candidate and scurry around for somebody. So that's going to be a priority of mine. I've done that in my businesses. That's how I built from one dealership to 15 is because it was always identifying up-and-coming talent. So let's talk about one of the issues they asked about, which was immigration, illegal immigration and security at the border. I w- while you were debating last night, Bernie Marino, candidate for Senate, uh, the Supreme Court was making an announcement. We got this last night that um, the Supreme Court has sided with the Biden administration in a case involving the razor wire along the Uh, Texas border with Mexico. The court allows border patrol agents to continue to cut that razor wire that Texas has installed along the border near Eagle Pass to stop the, the rampant invasion into our country. Now, this isn't a final decision. They're just saying they can continue to remove that razor wire wire while the case, you know, is being heard. But a lot of us saw that and were extremely disappointed. It was a 5-4 decision with Amy Coney Barrett and, um, and uh, John Roberts, the chief justice, siding with the three liberal justices to allow the invasion to continue for an indefinite period of time before they make a final decision here. If you're in the Senate right now, what are you saying in response to that decision? 
Very disappointed in those two conservative justices. Obviously, you know, the sovereignty of this country is what every elected official uh, has as their number one priority. But have I said all along, Bob, this thing can be solved tomorrow. We have to reform our asylum laws. If you cross into the country through some sort of river or some sort of mountain pass that's not a legal port of entry, you're immediately returned and you're disqualified from seeking asylum for life. There's no detaining nothing. You're immediately returned. If you come through a designated port of entry, we give you a court date, and then you go back to Mexico or Canada until your court date is heard. Now, as you know, because of what's gone on over the last three years, I believe we should suspend all asylum applications for at least 24 months until we get the situation under control and we can start removing the millions of people that are in, in this country illegally. And that was the big contrast last night. I mean, Matt Dolan quadrupled down on this idea of amnesty. And Frank LaRose is shifting a little bit, but still says we're only going to deport the people that came here when Biden was president. we got to deport anybody who's in this country illegally. Otherwise, we're sending a very bad mixed message to the world. Bob, as you know, I'm a legal immigrant. My brothers, my sister, my mom and dad, we all came here legally. Respect those of us who followed the process. Please stop rewarding people who broke our laws. It's extraordinarily frustrating to see this country continue to do that. Yeah, you told that story again in your opening statement last night in the debate, and I thought it was very powerful, and I salute it, and I agree with you. The the people who should be most angry and upset about this this invasion uh, should be those who who waited in line. It's kind of like, you know, if you're going to Cedar Point... <clears throat> and you're in line for the best roller coaster, and you're standing there for two hours waiting for your turn, and somebody gets to jump in front of you at the last second, you would be the one most upset about that because you did it right. You waited your turn. You came here legally. You respected the laws of the country, and people don't seem to understand that. Um, do you think that your two opponents here uh, take it seriously enough? I know that LaRose said, I'm just going to want to deport the, the Biden crossers, if you will, during that period of time, which is going to be probably $12 million by the time it's over. Um, I don't know if I trust Matt Dolan. Uh, to be quite frank, to to do the right thing as it pertains to this. Is this going to be a linchpin for you? Well, I think Matt said something last night that's actually true, which is he is very consistently, as I said last night, he's consistently wrong. So there is no ambiguity (laughs) that Matt Dolan will be for amnesty. There's no question about that. There's zero doubt. If you vote for Matt Dolan, you're voting for amnesty. Uh, He says he's with Trump on policy. That's just objectively not true. He is not with Trump on policy. Now, Frank... Unfortunately, I'm going to say something that I don't want to say, which is he's a nice man. But the reason you can't trust Frank is because what he puts at the top of his priority list is his own political ambitions. He cares more about obtaining power than he does about moving the conservative agenda forward. And if a donor or a special interest group got their hooks in him, which would be very easy, he would absolutely cave on conservative issues. That's what's happened. How many examples do you want me to give you? of that situation happening over and over again. And that's what we cannot allow again, Bob. It's not just about replacing Sherrod Brown. It's about replacing Sherrod Brown with somebody who's actually going to fight for the America First agenda because they believe in it and they are going to have President Trump's back in making that happen. That's why he endorsed me. It's not going to happen with a career politician. It's going to happen with an outsider. You made a big deal. We're talking with Bernie Moreno after last night's uh, statewide debate between Bernie or amongst Bernie and um, Matt Dolan and uh, Frank LaRose. You made a big deal about jobs last night because of your experience as a as a car dealer and a business owner, a very successful one, and how many jobs you've created. How does that translate to working in the Senate and creating jobs from that standpoint? 
Well, the government doesn't create jobs. That's the first thing i got to explain to my colleagues who are career politicians and lawyers. Uh, the private sector does. So what government does is creates an environment. So the one thing that didn't get covered last night is something about that Dolan talked about with the American dream. And sometimes people, I think, mistakenly think the American dream is this idea that, you, you know, you invented Facebook and you become a billionaire. It's certainly those things are unique in America, but that's, to me, not really the essence of the American dream. To me, the American dream is that you go to high school, you graduate, you can afford to buy a car, you can afford to buy a house, you can afford to get married and raise a family, send them to good schools and a safe community, and retire and be okay. You don't necessarily aspire to be a multimillionaire or billionaire, but you can live a good middle-class life. That's the that's the American dream, Bob, that I'm going to go to Washington, D.C. and fight for. That's what's eroding. That's what doesn't exist in countries like Colombia, where I came from, or in South America, or quite frankly, in most of the world. And that's what's under attack. We've shipped our jobs overseas. We've absolutely devastated our industrial base here. We have to fight for that true American dream. You can live a good life in America. That's what, that's what this campaign is all about for me. Um, I interviewed Frank last week about his campaign, his uh, campaign commercials, uh, relying very heavily on his military service, which I salute, of course. He served as a Green Beret. Uh, and uh, he mentioned last night, too, that he served down there on the border, not just talking about it, not just photo-opping, but actually working to help secure the border. Um, that's a strong issue for him. How are you going to counter that? Well, I honor his service. I think the country's better off as a result of his service and the many others who wore the uniform. There's no question about that. You know, Bob, one of the other uh, uh, situations I've seen in the campaign trail that stuck with me is I met a veteran in Toledo. And I came up to him after my talk, and he said to me that uh, he didn't he didn't feel pride in this country, and, he, and if he had it to do all over again, he wouldn't deform out for this country. Made me extremely sad. And I said to him what I believe, which is I want to see him in three years and hope that he's changed his mind, because we cannot allow that to continually deteriorate. We need to reinstill pride where people like Frank, who volunteered to serve our country, are motivated to do so. And right now, we're not. Uh, the, the military's full of woke ideology, a bunch of woke nonsense, and we're seeing less and less people want to go out and defend our country. So I salute Frank for doing that very much. Yeah, um, I think I saw some recruiting numbers uh, last week. Um, they, they are they are abysmal, uh, particularly white males. White males, which has usually been because it's the biggest number in the in the demographic, the biggest demographic in the population. Uh, but going to serve now, they are the uh, the 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 uh, slowest, if you will, to go and sign up and enlist. And um, I think there's a lot of reasons for that because of their embracing of wokeness, the military's embracing of inclusion and 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 diversity and all of these other things. And quite frankly, a lot of people just aren't about it so i'm really sad to hear what you just said about that veteran too um so bernie last question for you you mentioned and i mentioned that i thought the moderators did a pretty fair job they kind of had to ask you since it was in the news cycle about uh, your your business and and the employees which you answered uh perfectly and appropriately in my opinion that two out of the three uh support your candidacy now but uh but matt dolan came after you on that and he even went a little bit further do you want to clarify any of that stuff yeah, I mean, this is uh, the case he was after wasn't the Ohio uh, cases. You know, three three cases over 15 years with thousands of employees. I think I would put my record against any other business owner. Uh, the Massachusetts case was an extreme lunatic uh, judicial uh, Supreme Court over there that over that overturned federal law. They made the ruling retroactive so that salespeople 
uh, overtime could not be deducted from the commission. Uh, it was an insane ruling that affected every single car dealership, every single furniture store, every single commission business in Massachusetts. Uh, I had done business, obviously, in Massachusetts at that time during that time frame, so I got stuck into it. The reality is I'm very proud of the fact that we were one of, I think, probably the only car dealer that didn't get class action status because my people loved working at my company and didn't sign on with enough numbers to become class action. So they sued me individually. I fought it because I thought it was wrong. Of course, a judge uh, who's this absolute lunatic activist made all kinds of accusations that tainted the jury, and, and we lost, and I took my, my uh, beating like a, like a, like a man. Uh, but, you know, as I said last night, Bob, the businesses in Massachusetts, California, New York, get the hell out of there before it's too late. Uh, let's have the welcome mat open here in Ohio, and let's make certain that we uh, create a positive business environment here. Yeah, very, completely agree on the latter. And I hope this is the last time we hear about this stuff. I, I do not like three good, uh, you know, well, I'm not going to trash any of the three candidates. I am going to continue to uh, interview you guys as much as I can and as much as you'll do it. I want to get to as much, uh, you know, as much into, into as much depth as we possibly can. But I do not believe in throwing mud at one another. I thought what Matt did last night was probably unnecessary. Tell us why you're best for the Senate job. Don't talk about uh, things like uh, somebody else's private business experience particularly when the context is lacking from what he did there. So I really hope that this is a strong campaign going forward where you, you put forth your best ideas and, uh, and resume and, uh, and they do the same thing and that the people find somebody to beat Sherrod Brown. And, in fact, let's close with that as I know you've got to go catch a flight. Um, tell me how you beat Sherrod Brown if you get through this primary. We're going to show a contrast. Sherrod Brown is a guy that went to Yale University, majored in Russian studies. Not because, by the way, he was interested in understanding Russian culture. He was interested in understanding communism. The guy's now in his 70s and has never worked in the private sector. He's done absolutely nothing to help Ohio workers. On the other side of the equation is somebody whose only focus has been building businesses, creating opportunities for other others, giving back to the community. I think that contrast is what we need to be, Sherrod Brown. There it is. Bernie Moreno uh, had a strong debate performance last night uh, on uh, on uh, statewide television against Matt Dolan and Frank LaRose. Bernie, thanks so much. Go catch your flight. I appreciate you coming on and being uh, forthcoming with all of that stuff the night, uh, the morning after the debate, I should say, and I look forward to talking to you again numerous times between now and the primary in March. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Bernie. Travel safely. 927. Uh, what do you say? You want to get the pledge in now? Uh, let's do it on the other side of the break. We'll do our pledge on the other side of the break, and uh, we've got plenty of opportunities to hear from you. Did you watch the debate last night amongst the three? Tell me who you think won. I'm getting mixed answers from the people I talked to off the air. Let's get some answers on the air. Sir, uh, uh, Matt Dolan, Bernie Moreno, or Frank LaRose, you tell me. All right. Um, I think we should probably pledge... Um, to the flag that represents this country now, because five minutes from now we might not have a country. Might as well do the pledge while we can. That decision yesterday from the Supreme Court to allow Joe Biden to send out federal workers to cut the razor wire that has been installed by the state of Texas to protect Texans which is his job and their job, to cut the razor wire. I have video now of 
forklifts being sent out and deployed to those areas to scoop under the razor wire and lift it high and hold it up so that illegals can walk in uh, completely unabated. I have seen this video. It blew me away when I first saw it last night. It It is impossible to get out of your mind. Impossible. Texas is trying to protect Texans, which happen to also be Americans, and Joe Biden is sending out federal workers to put those Texans and Americans in in danger and in jeopardy, holding up the razor wire like you might, might I don't know, something where you have to hold something up so the person behind you, it's like holding the door for them or holding up a, you know, lifting up a police tape or something where so somebody can duck under it, literally for illegal aliens to invade the country. How that's not the textbook or dictionary definition of treason, I'll never understand. It is exactly what it is. Their first job as federal government officials is to protect and preserve the United States of America for the people of the United States of America. National security is job one. And to intentionally lift the razor wire or cut the razor wire to allow illegals to bring drugs and all of the other things that we know come along with it into this country is a legitimate treasonous act. You're literally saying, I don't want, not only do I not want to provide security for the American people, for the people of Texas in this case, we want to openly invite insecurity openly invite and wave through um, anybody who wants to come through for whatever reason they would like to come. It's just impossible to to justify. It's impossible to defend. And I would like to have somebody try. 216-901-0945. So let's pledge while we still have a nation to pledge our allegiance to stand and face your flag, put your hand on your heart, and and join us, even if it might be half-hearted today when you look into it. And by the way, and we'll get into it after the pledge, what this, what does this say about Amy Coney Barrett? What does this say about the Supreme Court as a whole as we are counting on them to do the right thing and make sure that Trump's name gets to appear on ballots in states where they're trying to disallow him from being uh, on the ballot to, to give the voters a chance to choose their own um you know, choice for president. Uh, we're all just expecting the Supreme Court is going to do the right thing in the Colorado case and that that's going to impact the main case and all of the other left-wing states that are trying to boot Trump from the ballot for insurrection. We just assume the Supreme... Stop assuming! Stop assuming! Our 6-3 majority conservative court is crap! It is trash! They have let us down on so many levels, it's hard to count. We were supposed to have this glorious conservative court, 6-3. to The left was freaking out over it. But Kavanaugh, completely unreliable. Amy Coney Barrett, completely unreliable. Neil Gorsuch, a little bit better, but still makes you question what constitution he's reading from time to time. These were the three Trump appointees that were supposed to tip it over the edge to being an originalist court again. Not at all. And John Roberts, the chief justice, the Bush appointee, is an absolute 
joke. So I don't know if we can count on the Supreme Court. Can you? Do you think you can count on the Supreme Court to do the right thing and allow Trump's name to be on the ballot in all 50 states? I'd like to say, of course. But I can't now. Because, of course, you would think that sovereignty and security on the southern border matter to the Supreme Court. Their job, they have oaths to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States in the same way the President does and members of Congress do. And they just they just completely ignored that oath. So I'm sorry. But I'm not really sorry. Let's stand and do this. If you are a believer in what uh, the trash that they are doing, well, then you might go want to go take a knee next to the other Marxists over there. For the rest of us who want the right thing to be done, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. It was a uh, tweet by uh, Colin Rugg, I think, that I saw the video on. Let me pull it up here again. It's obviously for my benefit, not yours, since this is radio. But, yeah, the Supreme Court has ruled 5-4 that Border Patrol agents are allowed to remove razor wire installed by Texas. The invasion goes on. After a desperate request filed by Biden to open the floodgates, The court decided that the illegal surge should continue by allowing Border Patrol agents to cut and or remove Texas's razor wire. Here are federal agents raising the razor wire with a forklift to let migrants walk in last year. Your government hates you. I can't dispute a word. I can't dispute a word of it. And our government is three layers deep, as you know. Executive, legislative, and judicial. We know the executive hates us. We know that too many in the legislature, particularly in the Democrat-controlled Senate and the Democrat-slash-Rhino-slash-Uniparty members in the House, they hate you. And as a matter of fact, even some of your Republican representatives that are supposed to back you, some of them in the House hate you because they're willing to surrender security and sovereignty at the border in exchange for perks and favors from the Biden administration, particularly about things that have nothing to do with us, like Ukraine. Blown away. And now we know that the Supreme Court, the judiciary, the judicial branch, doesn't care either. The video is astounding. Like I said, if you've ever, like, I don't know, I'll compare it to WWE. When somebody goes in, the manager goes in or something and lifts up the rope to allow the uh, allow the wrestler to duck in into the ring. This is what it looks like. They use this forklift to raise up the razor wire to create a basically a, a tent, if you will, for the I don't even know how many hundreds in this in this short video here crossing the river and walking into the United States, where they are immediately given their little speech that says, are you here seeking asylum? Okay, well, uh, here you go. Um, go ahead and find a place to, uh, to, to live and work in the United States. And by the way, our Republicans in the Senate are fine with handing them work permits as soon as they get underneath that razor wire. The border deal agreed to by Mitch McConnell 
and Republicans who just are owned lock, stock, and barrel by Chuck Schumer. The deal says that every illegal alien who is brought into the country and released into the U.S. gets a work permit. That's okay. That's not a. That's not an incentive for more illegals to come here, is it? That's not a carrot. No, not at all. And by the way, any problems? Taxpayer-funded lawyers will be provided for your illegal aces, work permits for the adult children of H-1B visa holders, more green cards. Fifty thousand a year must be given out. This is what the Republicans have agreed to. This is just astounding. One of the reasons why that was one of the biggest issues in the debate last night. Who is going to stand up against Chuck Schumer in the Senate? How do we get Sherrod Brown's ancient A out of D.C.? He has just, he has just, uh, he's dropped an anchor there. He's never leaving. He served three terms already, and I don't understand how. We're a red state. Trump has won twice by big numbers, eight points or so each time. Republicans sweep the state house. Uh, or excuse me, the uh, state uh, elect, statewide elected offices, and yet Sherrod Brown just anchored to D.C. Somebody's got to remove him, and we need somebody to help us get the majority back. Otherwise, we're not going to have a country to to preside over. For goodness sakes, I'm blown away by the Supreme Court decision. Blown away. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Joanne in Twinsburg. Hi, Joanne. Go ahead. Good morning, Bob. I think. Yeah, right. Uh, two things. I I see visions of Jan Brewer in Arizona ten years ago when she fought, and the Supreme Court turned her down too. Yep. You know, different Supreme Court, but still. I mean, so I I mean, nobody's really said what this ruling really says. But my, the real reason I called was, have you well, the ru- seen the ruling the video? for now? By the way, just so just so you know the answer to that question, the ruling for now is they're not making a ruling. They haven't ruled on the actual constitutionality of um, Texas defending its own border and thus the, the the federal border. You know, at the same time, what they are saying is, is that while we consider this, we're going to allow the feds to continue to get rid okay. of that wire. So it's so a it's temporary kind of yes, kind of. It's a deferred okay. action, basically saying we're not going to stop them yet because we haven't decided how we're going to rule. So until we decide, we're going to let them continue to do it. Which again, I I don't understand how that line of thinking works here for the Supreme Court. Right. It would seem to me to be until you guys decide that it is not legal for <laughs> it should Texas be in to reverse. do this, let Texas sit <laughs> yeah. right, let Texas do what it does until, until you said no, right. Texas and then doesn't have we'll the authority decide. to do that. But keep doing what you're doing. I get that. Right. So that's what's so yesterday, frustrating. Yesterday morning on Fox Business on Maria Bartiromo show, yeah. she showed a clip of an uh, independent journalist Asking an illegal crossing the border, you know, he was asking basic questions to this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, what's your name? Where did you come from? Why are you here? Oh, I think. I know and the what guy you're looked at about. him and said, "I don't have to tell you, and you'll know my name soon." Yes, I did see that. And I'm thinking to myself, this is what we're letting in. These people are not even afraid to threaten us on camera. Yeah. I mean, it's on YouTube. I mean, the one on Fox Business doesn't really show him. It shows her, her talking to Abbott about the guy. But on YouTube, the video is there, and people need to see it. It is sickening. I mean, 
what he, what Biden and Mayor, I mean, I don't even blame Mayorkas. I mean, I'll be honest, he's doing what they're telling him to do. I mean, and when they get rid of him, they'll put another one in that looks just like him. I mean, yeah. it's just the way it is. Yeah, no, I, mean, I, I, you know, I did see I mean, it. This and is I Biden's policy, you know, and all Biden can say is give me the money. Well, the money, we don't need money. We need a policy change, period. <laughs> That's what it's all about, 100%. And I yeah. did see that. I'm glad you brought it up, Joanne, and thank you for the call. Yeah. Uh, I may sure. have to play that back for people uh, as well on the program today so they can hear it as well. Because while he didn't say anything that was a direct threat, like, you know, uh, you know, he, he didn't threaten to commit an illegal act or a dangerous act or a violent act. But what does it sound like he means? In all seriousness, when he says, you will know me soon, you will know my name soon, it just sounds like the, the you know something written in a manifesto of a, of a mass shooter or a mad bomber or Lord only knows what. And I have no idea what he meant by that. Look, we have to be real and fair. Maybe he meant, you'll know me soon because I, I was living a life of, of, of uh, anonymity in my, in my home country, but now that I'm here in the greatest nation in the world that provides opportunities for people like me, I'm going to do great things. You will all know me soon. Maybe he means he's going to be an inventor, an entrepreneur. He's going to do something that makes him famous for a good reason. But it's not how it sounds. And you have to sometimes, I don't know, you have to kind of, Try to try to interpret what the meaning is, and it and what Joanne just said is right. It sounded more like a threat to me, like you will know me soon, uh, and that worries me. Uh, Dan, in Middleburg Heights. Hi, Dan. You're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Uh, good morning. Good morning. On your point on the Supreme, I have two points, real quick. Mm-hmm. One is the Supreme Court. Uh, I, I'm as frustrated as you are, as usual. <laughs> but nobody makes policy decisions like that. And I've told you this that probably a million times. Unless they're either being extorted or bribed, you've got the same three people on that Supreme Court making stupid decisions like this, and you can't keep kicking that can down the, down the hall all the time. You have people's lives at stake here, which is mainly the American people. And I don't care about people crossing the Rio Grande, and if they get cut themselves on a barbed wire, you shouldn't be there in the first place. I agree. Hundred percent, and and you've got people like this Amy. What is it, Amy Barrett or Garrett? A Barrett, Amy Barrett. Coney, Amy Coney Barrett. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, don't take this the wrong way, but anybody like her, she's a bleeding heart, not a conservative person. I don't care what school she went to for the Supreme Court. You know, she. I know in her background, and don't take it the wrong way, but she's a, she's one of these people that go to Haiti and adopt children because she feels sorry for them, and that's okay. But when you got the American people on on the line here, to the tune of twelve million people, I know what's going through this lady's head because I just know these kind of people. That's the way they are. So she'll feel sorry for them and make a decision to kick the can down the road. She probably had the last vote on that five four. Well, I mean, it was her or, or or Roberts. I mean, the two of them well, made their decisions. These are all people where Black Lives Matter and these people, the far left people, they're showing up at their driveway at their homes. So that's why I'm referring back to you're either bribed or, or being extorted or afraid because somehow along the line. I'm, I can't prove it. You can't. But nobody makes bad decisions like this with that high intellect. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it, 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 ideology is sometimes separate from intellect. 
Sometimes the smartest people in the world are the dumbest when it comes to their ideology. Uh, uh, yes. You know what I mean? I mean, you can be an intellectual. You can be. You can have you know ten different degrees, and you can have an IQ of 190, and it doesn't matter if your ideology is off. And I think that's what uh, sometimes afflicts these people. I don't think Amy Coney Barrett is dumb by any stretch of the imagination. I'm also not convinced she is a full you know, bleeding heart, if you will, because I think she's done some good things the right way. And obviously the decision on Roe, you know, to to overturn Roe was 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 the right one. So but but I am indeed conflicted when I see her and more sure. with, more with John Roberts than with her, because Roberts well, was, you know, was the was the linchpin of the same sex marriage. Act yeah, the, you're right, because Roberts has a longer history than she does. Yeah. <laughs> And he's been given an opportunity to prove that he's not, you know, that he's not some sort of, uh, you know, bleeding heart um, and that he is an originalist, that he's not no, an activist. I think he, he was lying to everybody. To be he's not as conservative as everybody said he was. Yeah, well, I think that's true. We have true. the record to prove it between me and you. <laughs> yeah, I think that's very true. All right. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate the call. Uh, let's uh, go to Charlie next. Hi, Charlie. Go ahead. Hey, Bob. Thank you for taking the call. You bet. Uh, calling about the, the Senate race. I watched the, the debate. You know, when there's a three-man race like this or more, it's called a brokered race, and anything can happen. And my fear is the, that LaRose and Bernie uh, Marino are going to divide up the conservatives and somehow Dolan, who to me is just another Nikki Haley, he's going to get in there. And it's, you know, it's scary because this, this race is so important. We've got Wait, to who, take you, back who do you think, who I'm sorry, say that again. Who do you think is, is a, a Nikki Haley? Uh, Matt Dolan. Oh, you think, think Dolan is like Nikki Haley? Okay, okay. I'm yeah, sorry, Matt. he's going to get the anti-Trump vote. He's going to get those Rhino votes. But there could be enough when you divide it three ways, and that's that's a scary thing. People have to realize Bernie Marino is a real, real conservative. Everything he says, you know, we uh, at Ohio Value Voters we endorsed him very early, and we got some flack because of it. But we're very proud of that because he he proves that he's. The conservative in this race, and we need a conservative here in Ohio. We need 50, 51 senators to be elected, in you know, this year, and or this country is in really, really bad shape. Uh, well, those are my two cents. And, well, and yeah, thank you for those, Charlie. I appreciate it. Yeah, um, you're right. <clears throat> uh, a lot on a lot of that, and in particular, we need a conservative in the Senate. Because we have found, and it's been proven, that even if we get a slim majority in either chamber, the House or the Senate, if that if some of those individuals who are in the majority are are left leaning or are moderate or too moderate, they're going to side with the Democrats anyway. I need a strong conservative to come out of Ohio and replace Sherrod Brown. So that if we have a 51-49 or a 52-48 or 53-47, God willing, something like that kind of majority, if we can pull that off, if, you know, the Trump train uh, has, you know, enough cars on it to work its way through the country in November to get enough turnout to get Republicans to win a significant majority and have a strong majority in the Senate, I need to know that they're going to act like conservatives. I need to know that it's not going to be 50, you know, 52, 48, but two of them decided to go with the Democrats. I, that's which I can completely see when it comes to somebody. And again, I don't want to sit here and throw uh, anybody under the bus because I will support Matt Dolan if he is the candidate against Sherrod Brown, but I can see somebody like Matt Dolan doing that. I'm sorry. I'm not, you know, again, I'm not going to bash the guy. 
Um, he was very, very low on my list of choices when they ran the first time around for uh, for Rob Portman's seat, and he's just as, as much at the bottom of this list for me, but I would still support him because the alternative is Sherrod Brown. It's kind of like supporting any one of the Republicans who ran for president. I would support any one of them, even if it wasn't my favorite, because it's what's the alternative? Allowing Joe Biden to come back in and do it again? No, it's uh, it's extraordinary. Um, two one six nine zero one zero nine four five and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Let me get uh, Sally and Bria in real quick before the top of the hour because we got Kirsten out coming up next. Sally, go ahead. Hi, Bob. Um, regarding the Supreme Court, I was extremely disappointed because they were focusing on a technicality instead of a reality. The technicality is, yeah, the feds are supposed to um, be the ones to enforce, but obviously they aren't. Common sense, pictures, we know that it's a flood, and it's a danger to our national security. And they should have the common sense to realize that and leave the razor wire up until that decision is made. That's all. Thanks, yeah, Bob. That's exa- yeah, thank you. And that's exactly how I think it should have been. Uh, you're right. Uh, and this is something that uh, should be common sense to everybody. If the court is going to take their time in deciding whether or not it's constitutional or legal for a state to defend its border when the feds are not defending the same border, if that's what they're going to do, then you leave it alone until you find and prove and, and rule that it is indeed illegal, and then you make them take them down. Because how many more people are going to come in through that, that sector? While they decide, while they deliberate, while they talk, and while they do whatever it is that they do, um, how many more people are going to come through? Adding to the now 10 million plus that have come through uh, under Biden's watch so far. It's unacceptable. 216-901-0945, 888-281-1110. We'll get a timeout. we got Kirsten out waiting in the wings. He's going to be with us for now. We're going to talk to a congressional candidate named Chris Banwag at 1110. Stay here. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer seen, I think 11 out of the 21 Trump-endorsed candidates in 2022 lost uh, you know, around the country in various races. So in Ohio, though, uh, Trump endorsement is gold. The biggest change from the time when Frank LaRose was leading all of those polls to Bernie Moreno right now is the Trump endorsement. Yeah, Bernie Moreno started running some ads, but they were also uh, largely centered around the Trump endorsement. Even before the official endorsement, uh, it was he was running those ads of, of Donald Trump introducing him and saying, you know, we love Bernie Marino. Uh, so the Trump endorsement in Ohio carries a ton of weight, and Bernie Marino is now enjoying that as uh, he has a pretty comfortable lead, according to what we are reading uh, in that Senate race. But polls are one thing, votes are another in March, and I want to know two things. Number one, who do you like best in March? Who do you want to see? Um, win that race. And then number two, I want you to tell me whether or not you think that person can beat um, uh, Sherrod Brown, because quite simply, um, it's a challenge that that some people do not believe can be overcome. We just had a caller say, you know, Sherrod Brown has been there forever, and Sherrod Brown um, isn't going to lose. And I a lot of people say the same thing. I told you I did a little bit of a mini, I don't know, survey conversation, whatever you want to call it, <clears throat> with several people last night after the debate, because I watched it in its entirety, 
and I texted a couple people who I trust, and I had a couple of other people text me last night and this morning asking me, who do you think won the debate? And I will tell you that the answers were, amongst all of us, varied. Some said Dolan, some said LaRose, some said Moreno. So you take you know, from that, who do you like best, and then you add to it, who do you think is in the best position to beat Sherrod Brown? And it may change the answer. You might like Marino best, but then say to yourself, he's not the best candidate to beat Sherrod Brown because he hasn't won a statewide election in his life. Frank LaRose has. He's the Secretary of State. Matt Dolan, has, well, he hasn't won state elections. He's won district elections, but he has won elections in Ohio. He's got bigger name recognition being in the state Senate. Uh, or Frank LaRose has bigger name recognition as Secretary of State, so you might say that. Uh, whatever your your calculus is to figure out who is best to beat Sherrod Brown, I would like to hear it. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. We're also still talking about the razor wire. I just posted it, by the way. Did it? No, it didn't. I was hoping it cross-posted over to my... I put it on my, my personal page, which if you're not a Facebook friend of mine personally, you know, they limit you to 5,000 people. Um, yeah, you have to go watch it on my... Uh, on my Always Right Radio page, and uh, I thought it would cross post over there. It did not, at least not yet. So I'm going to make sure that I get it up there. But it is Seth. What did you describe it as when you first saw it? The video uh, truly shocking, shocking. That yes. was, yeah, it, it's it's kind of painful. Is I don't know if it's overstating it, but I mean, it's one thing to know that your government has for all intents and purposes, uh, surrendered to an invasion. It, it, it's one thing to kind of just know that because you hear the numbers, right? You hear well, 300-plus thousand people crossed in December alone. That's a new record. Uh, over the last eight months, the average is 240,000 new border crossers per month. That's astounding. And, and then you just say, well, that clearly has to be intentional. But it's only words, and it's only ideas in your mind, I guess, until you see that video, right? So that, it, it, that's kind of what you mean, right? When oh, you yeah. Say when, when you see, literally, there's a thing holding up the razor wire and lines of people just darting underneath it, coming in with nobody checking them, just going right on in. You, you know what it reminds me of? It, it reminds me, in a weird loose way of January 6th when police officers were holding the door open. They held the doors open on some sides of the Capitol building and people thinking they were welcomed because the police officers were standing there holding the door open and saying, go ahead, thinking that they were following the law. And guess what that, guess what that did? It encouraged more people to say, oh, okay, I wasn't going to go in there. I sure as hell was not going to go through a broken window. I sure as hell was not going to go through, uh, battle through a police line and go through the the side where where things got violent. But these officers are holding the door open for me. Yeah, I can walk in there. It encourages more people to come in. Well, what do you think this video that we're, we're talking about right now, what kind of a message do you think this says to other potential caravan, you know, uh, migrants. They're, do I want to join this thing? Are they going to let me in? Well, look at the video. They sure as hell are. Not only are they not going to stop me, they're going to aid me. They're holding up the wire so I can go in. 
and 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 like I said, I think some January Sixers who were there in that crowd that day, not intending to break any law whatsoever, still didn't think they were breaking a law when when the police officers held the door open. When they held the door open and encouraged them to go on in, just don't break or anything or don't steal anything. We've all seen these these videos. Um, they think that they're doing something lawful. So why wouldn't that encourage more people to do it? Same thing here. If you're a potential migrant crossing into America and you see the federal government sending out forklifts to hold up the razor wire that one of the states is trying to use to stop you, that means I'm not even an illegal alien. Is that over? Is that overstating it, Seth? Not at all. You might as well put a welcome sign on that that thing holding the razor wire up. I mean, it's yeah. unbelievable. I mean, I, I, if you're if you're from Guatemala or China or Saudi Arabia, I don't care if you have made your way to Mexico and you're trying to use it as a bridge into the United States, and you see a a, a vehicle deployed to hold the razor wire up so you can walk under it unmolested. Would you even think to yourself that it's illegal to go in there? I don't know. It's a welcome sign. It really is. Yeah. You'd think it, uh, this is this is legal now. It's not even illegal immigration. This is a a a a uh, an invitation, a welcome sign, as you say, a welcome at a red carpet or whatever it is you want to say. It, it's a it is shocking, Seth. You're exactly right. It's a shocking video. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. Let's go to Yanina who's calling from University uh, uh, Hills or Heights or wherever she might be. Uh, yes, good morning. Good morning Nina, go ahead. Good morning. Well, I just received information that, well, thank you for taking my phone call anyway. Uh, but And uh, Chris Live is doing great job. Chris Live is just great. George Soros, son of Alex Soros, tweeted a direct violent threat to assassinate Donald Trump by tweeting out a bullet and 47, according to the Gateway Pundit website. Did you hear that? Could, I, I apologize for not being able to hear everything clearly. Could you could you repeat that about, about yes. 47? Go, go okay, ahead. I received information from friends. George Soros' son, Alex Soros. Oh, his you know son. Okay, yes. Okay, yes. that's uh, what I didn't uh, hear uh, you say. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, it's a my mistake. I'll repeat it. Okay, so Alex Soros tweeted a direct violent threat to assassinate Donald Trump by tweeting out there is a place bullet hole in 47 because Trump is a 47 president. It's according to the Gateway Pundit website. There is a website called Gateway Pundit website. Yep. So he's openly threatened to assassinate Donald Trump. Yeah, there, there is. Uh, this is not just on Gateway Pundit. It's on a lot of other websites. I've seen some of this as well. To answer your question directly, yes, I have seen this. I haven't talked about it yet, so I appreciate you bringing it up, and thank you for the call, Yanina. Um, PJ Media has a piece out on it, too. Did Alex Soros really call for Trump's assassination? Now, we can probably look at this a couple of different ways. If you remember, during the 2016 uh, Trump campaign, <clears throat> And then I think even after he was elected, there were similar things done by people like Snoop Dogg, who in a video um, uh, for one of his songs, I think it was a Trump character uh, that was shot, um, although rather than shooting the the Trump character, 
Um, they they had a gun with, that's like a prop gun that, that you know where the sign like a cartoon comes out of it that says bang, but it basically intimated somebody shoot Trump. And then there was the uh, non-funny comedian, uh, Kathy Griffin, who posted video or, uh, pictures of herself holding up a severed head of Donald Trump, holding it up by the hair as if to say, once again, we're going to behead Trump. So we've seen these kinds of things before. Can it be taken as a threat to assassinate? It depends on, I guess, what your perception is and your perspective is. Um, the biggest difference here is that neither Snoop Dogg nor Kathy Griffin, nor anybody else who made jokes about or, you know, loosely and thinly veiled threats about harming Trump, were the son of one of the most dangerous individuals who has, by the way, George Soros has already announced, essentially, that he is passing on his Soros empire leadership responsibilities to his son. One of the, one of the most villainous globalists, um, and and attempted enslavers of mankind, honestly, on the planet. George Soros has wreaked havoc on the United States by funding left-wing prosecutors and, and promoting left-wing judges and all kinds of things to, tr- to truly turn the United States into um, a land of anarchy, one that would eventually be overtaken by globalist forces. Alex Soros is his successor. So Alex Soros recently shared an article on Twitter or X from The Atlantic about crime rates um, uh, fueling, uh, you know, wild conspiracies from influencers, you know, that they say this is a threat to to uh, call for the assassination of Donald Trump. The Atlantic article in question is called The Great Normalization. And much like the Biden administration, I'm quoting from PJ Media now, it tries to convince everybody that the economy is good and crime is down. Don't believe your lying eyes. So what, what's the suspicion all about? The headline has two parts. The headline picture has two parts. A picture of a bullet hole in a glass window and then a hand holding a $20 bill, uh, two tens, a five, and five ones, holding, which, of course, total up to $47. A 20, two tens, a five, and five ones. So for those who want to see that, as that's a threat to kill Trump if Trump is president number 47. You can absolutely make that argument. Some, though, might say it's no different than the things that I just described. It's idiots looking for clicks, looking for, you know, um, uh, clout, if you will, to, you know, get some, some, some kudos from their fellow left-wingers against the man that they see as Hitler and so forth. So can you see that that way? Yep. I think you can, but does that necessarily mean it's an absolute threat? Uh, that would be a stretch. I would imagine Secret Service, which still protects the former president, um, would be interested in this, but I doubt very seriously anybody would move to bring charges toward it. Additionally, now this is just a little bit of, uh, I don't know, insight or, or uh, digging a little deeper if you want to in the symbolism of it all. But since the $5 bill has Abraham Lincoln on it, who was assassinated, the $20 bill has Andrew Jackson on it, who survived an assassination attempt, and the 10 has Alexander Hamilton, who was killed in a duel by a gunshot, the implication is more apparent, according to those who want to see it that way. So there you go. That's all I can really say. Uh, Alex Soros is a dangerous person because he is taking over George Soros' empire. 
He has been raised right. by, And by that, of course, I mean by what his father wanted him to be raised. He has been raised just like his father, which is a globalist, an, Amer- an anti-American, uh, somebody whose uh, vision of the United States is a nation in ruins. That's the reality. So, Yanina, I'm, I appreciate you. I wasn't going to talk about it today, but since you asked about it, I figured I would go ahead and do that. It's not just on Gateway Pundit. The story is in a lot of places. I just gave you some info from uh, from PJ Media, but you can find it in a number of places. Okay, uh, Navy Man Norm is next. Navy Man Norm, go right ahead. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, uh, regarding, uh Regarding Mr. Connie Schultz, <laughs> one would think that anybody, including a homeless person, could beat him in a Senate race, but how he has succeeded or been successful since 2007 to get reelected is just beyond me. I mean, the guy looks like a scrounge. He looks like a homeless person. I don't think he's ever washed his hair. He's stupid, and yet he gets reelected time after time, which to me speaks volumes about the IQ level of the electorate in the state of Ohio. I just can't see it. I mean, we had Jim Renacci, you know, who I thought was a superb candidate. You know, we had Josh Mandel, another good man and candidate. And I watched debates with Sherrod Brown, or Mr. Connie Schultz, I should say. And he comes across as a dud. So I don't know what it. What is the attraction? I mean, the guy stands. I can't figure Ohio out at all. Only because uh, you know what you just said is true. We had an opportunity, and I still think that the left interfered with it. Our open primary system and Joe Blystone screwed it up for Renacci more than anything else. But, but we do. We win. You know, Trump has won this state twice now by eight points plus. Um, yes, we we win every statewide office from the secretary of state to the treasurer to the auditor to the governor and the lieutenant governor. All these things we win. We have a you know conservative majority on the Ohio Supreme Court. You know, so you would think that it would be very easy to remove a left wing Democrat senator like Sherrod Brown, and yet he still remains. So I I, I wish yeah. I had the answer. I, I like yeah. to think there have been candidates that have been qualified enough to. To beat him, you, Renacci. Well, oh, I think you. Met, I apologize. I thought you were talking about Renacci for governor, but Renacci ran against him uh, for the Senate seat as well. I don't yeah. know. I don't know what his staying power is. I don't know, uh, Norm. It's it yeah, just defines I, I don't common know sense. if it's these if these if it's these mushhead eighteen year olds, uh, you know, coming out of high school mm-hmm. that you know vote for the first time, and I'm sure you know that age group is overwhelming uh, left wing. And it, it just it just boggles my mind, but you know it, it's it's just to me it's unfathomable. I mean, yeah. this man is the poster boy for planned Holocausthood. You know, he's done nothing for the people of Ohio, and yet you know he gets reelected, and it's 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 beyond me. As far as our candidates, my my vote goes to Franklin Rose, not just because he's a veteran, but because I think he's done an admirable job as. Uh, Secretary of State, cleaning and purging our voters' rolls of uh, dead people or, you know, dead Democrat votes and uh, people who's moved out of state. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, Dolan, Dolan couldn't stand in the face of criticism about Chief Wahoo. He had to change the team mascot to a stone monument on the uh, high-level bridge. 
So, you know, don't tell me about how tough you are, Matt Dolan, because you're not. Bernie Moreno, he would be my second choice, but I think he's a, a neophyte. He's a novice when it comes to the world of politics. And I like Frank, I like Frank LaRose's uh, spunk, and I like the fact that uh, he's a veteran, and I think he would be our best chance of beating uh, Mr. Connie Schultz. Well, I'll tell you what. Thank you, Navy Man Norm, for the, <laughs> Mr. Connie Schultz. I love that. Uh, thank you. Uh, appreciate that very much. Yeah, I, I do think that Frank LaRose is a strong candidate. I do think Bernie Moreno is a strong candidate. I don't necessarily think Matt Dolan is as strong of a candidate as the other two. But again, having won, uh, you know, uh, elected office in Ohio, he is a known name. And I do think it's going to take a lot of money and a lot of uh, press and a lot of, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say a lot of hard work and be very generic about that, but it's going to, it's going to take something very sp- special to beat, uh, to beat Sherrod Brown. And quite frankly, I don't know that Matt Dolan inspires anybody. He doesn't inspire me. And I thought Bernie Moreno last night, or excuse me, this morning when Bernie was on, if you missed my interview with Bernie uh, reacting to last night's debate, it was at 9.10 this morning. You'll have to go back and check it out on the podcast page. But as he pointed out, when Matt Dolan stood there and talked about how we have to defeat wokeness, it really, really just kind of, um, I don't know, that, that rings the bell. Because are you kidding? You and your family literally brought wokeness to Cleveland and took away our baseball heritage. And and changed it to the Guardians, as Norm was just referencing. So, you know, I I want to say I wouldn't support him because I would. I would support him or anybody else over Sherrod Brown. But I do think that there are two stronger candidates in that race. There's no question about it. Okay. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. So I've got an interesting little uh, survey result here. It's 1036, by the way. Thanks for being with us. If you just tuned in and you thought you were going to hear Kersenow, you were wrong. But you are going to hear him soon. He'll be with me at the top of the 11 o'clock hour, as uh, he uh, notified me that he had to do a little bit of a schedule shift today. So he'll be with us at 1110. But I saw uh, an interesting little survey. I was visiting the uh, Fox 8 webpage, and uh, they did a survey, a little poll about who won the debate last night. And the numbers are interesting. Um, They're not close. I thought they would be more close given what I told you that my own personal correspondence with individuals that I I value, whose opinions I value, told me it was very, very mixed. But according to the Fox 8 survey of those who watched it, Frank LaRose, 16% say he won the debate. Matt Dolan, 27% say he won the debate. And that leaves Bernie Moreno with a much, much bigger, the lion's share, if you will, 57%, say Bernie Moreno, won the debate. How do you feel about it? I was reading an interesting, um, actually skimming it because I only became aware of it this morning, uh, like an hour ago, so I've only been able to skim it during our newscasts and breaks. Um, Analysis of this from PJ Media, I was giving you a little bit of PJ Media on the Soros story a short while ago, but Paula Bullyard is a writer for PJ Media, and she's an editor. I've had her on the program before. Um, she is uh, uh, very dialed into Ohio politics, let's put it that way. And um, she uh, she has written an article, I think, in support of 
of Frank LaRose, saying that he emerged as the champion of the middle class in this debate. But like I said, the winner, according to some of the viewers, was Bernie Moreno. So I've invited Paula to join me. And so, Seth, just so you know, um, I just sent a message to her. We might be getting a call from uh, Paula Bulliard from from PJ Media with an analysis of this uh, here very, very shortly. So uh, uh, I'm really I'm really interested in uh, in everyone's opinion on this. But she says LaRose. She points out, by the way, at the tail end, that LaRose has won every race he's ever won by a large margin. Paula's there? How about that? That's that's now that's a quick turnaround time right there. That's impressive. Uh, thank you so very much, Paula Bolliard, um, editor at uh, PJ Media, managing editor at PJ Media, for a very quick turnaround. I literally was just discussing the fact that I saw your your article on the debate last night, and I would love to talk to you about it. And boom, you answered the call. Thank you so much, Paula. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing today, Bob? I'm good. It's been a little while since we've talked, but I'm so glad to have you uh, check in with us here because I was just saying I've only been able to skim your article uh, since I just saw it this morning. But I can give people the headline in the Ohio Senate debate, Frank LaRose emerges as champion of the middle class. Paula, does that mean he won the debate in your eyes? I think he did, and for a number of reasons. One, I think he didn't... um get into the squabbling that uh, Matt Dolan and Benny Moreno got into. He sort of stayed above the fray. Um, he stuck to his talking points and, you know, demonstrated that he's uh, well-equipped to take on Sherrod Brown in November. Yeah. The one thing I will say, though, despite what you just said about, you know, the squabbling or whatnot, is I know that on at least three occasions and maybe a fourth, I don't know. But um, as Bernie Moreno was was making his points, uh, Frank would kind of lean into his mic and say false, false, false. It's kind of right. thing that, the kind of thing that Trump did, actually, during his uh, debating with Hillary and with Biden and uh, in previous ones, too. Um, and, and I don't think anybody else did that, but I don't think it also bothered people too terribly much. In fact, I had Bernie Moreno on this morning. Bernie kind of liked it because it gave him an opportunity to turn and directly address Frank when he would say false and say, go look at the record, go look at his tweet, go look at the numbers and so on and so forth. So it probably didn't bother him very much. Um, but what is it that makes you describe him as the champion of the middle class, Paula? Um, well, Bernie Moreno made a weird mistake, I thought, in the debate by um, referring to money that Frank LaRose has lying around somewhere. And uh, I, I can, uh, all I can assume is he was talking about LaRose's campaign funds, um, the money he's raised for his campaign. And that's it, all it I was heard sort of, of, Yeah, yeah and and it gave uh, LaRose the opportunity to turn around and say, you know, I'm not in the same league with these guys. I live in a middle class home in Columbus and you know raising my family and my three daughters and you know, I'm not one of you. So he sort of set himself apart from the multimillionaires Dolan and Moreno. And um there he also talked about how Biden's economy is har- harming Ohioans and harming Americans, and he really doubled down on that and, you know, stuck to kitchen table issues a lot. He did that as well when he was talking about the fentanyl crisis and the border and Mm -hmm. what it's doing to Ohioans and how many uh, Americans are being killed by this horrible fentanyl coming over the border. 
You know, we're, we're talking to Paula Bolliard. She is a managing editor at PJ Media. She is very, very tied into Ohio politics, too, and she is... Um, uh, she has written a very uh, very extensive piece analyzing the debate last night. I don't see a ton of policy or ideological differences between LaRose and Marino. I do see more between the two of them and Dolan, particularly as it comes to cultural things and wokeness and, 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 some, and certainly uh, in, in terms of President Trump. I think Dolan has been by far the, the harshest critic of President Trump. Uh, whereas uh, Marino and LaRose both wanted the endorsement of President Trump. But when it comes to policy, when it comes to the border, when it comes to immigration, when it comes to the economy, when it comes to jobs, I I don't see a ton of difference between Marino and LaRose. So I think what Ohio voters are going to have to do is decide which of them is better equipped to beat Sherrod Brown, right? Yes, you're exactly right. Um, Multiple times in my article, I said Marino and LaRose, were on one side of this and Dolan was sort of out there uh, having a completely uh, different take on it, more the moderate position or the establishment position. So, yeah, there's not a huge amount of difference between LaRose and Marino. Uh, The difference, I would say, is LaRose has actually done some of the things that he wants to do as a senator, whereas Marino doesn't have that experience, that background. He knows the right things to say and knows what Ohioans want to hear, but he doesn't have the background or experience. And I think, you know, that gaffe or whatever it was about throwing it at LaRose about campaign money, um, you know, that's just something he doesn't have experience in debating. And if you're going to go up against Sarah Brown, if if you're going to go up against the the king you have to be able to strike those fatal blows and that's something you learn from experience and not necessarily from consultants telling you what to say that's a fair point first timers you know it is a it is a challenge if you're a first timer an outsider as bernie said in his closing remarks you know about um, you know needing an outsider there like donald trump was when he came in and instead of a career politician outsiders do have a learning curve i agree whether it be in the debating stage or even when they get in and start governing you also point out i was about to quote this line before you called in i wasn't quite sure if we were going to get you or not i was going to quote your last paragraph or the beginning of it anyway pointing out that la rose has won every race he's won uh run rather by a wide margin um name recognition is in his favor ohio voters have seen it ohio republicans have supported it i don't know if that's going to translate into moderates enough to swing you know people uh, swing the race into his uh, favor over sherrod brown in the minds of some people but uh how you obviously think that that's a big deal the name recognition and the fact that he has won in ohio before yeah i definitely think it does and you know, moderates are going to be a challenge for anyone on the Republican side, and in particular uh, with anyone on the left. They absolutely despise LaRose um, because of what he's done as Secretary of State and running clean elections and not having voter fraud here, widespread voter fraud here. They also hate him for campaigning uh, to protect the Constitution and to um issue one out of Ohio. Now that ends up being a losing battle. But, you know, you can say at least he tried, but the left absolutely despises him for doing that, for trying to protect Ohio's women. 
Were you uh, surprised that President Trump weighed in and gave his endorsement to Bernie, especially a day after Frank went in on an interview with Colleen Marshall and said he's not endorsing anybody in this race? Yeah, you know, and that was an interesting thing in the debate. I didn't write about that, but um, the moderators, I don't know why they brought up this kind of petty stuff, you know, squabbling between the candidates and Trump or whatever. Um, But the moderators repeated LaRose's comment about um, Trump telling him that uh, he wouldn't endorse. And, you know, we all know how mercurial uh, President Trump can be. So it's not a surprise. Good word. That's a good word. Yeah. (laughs) Mercurial is a very good word for him. Yes. Go on. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Marino bringing that up and calling him outright a liar. Um, I don't think that was super effective because I think everyone knows that Trump changes his mind a lot. Um, I, I think why Trump endorsed him, I think he has a lot of familiar, familiarity with someone um, of that wealth and stature. And, you know, I, I don't, a lot of policy differences, like you said, between the two candidates. And, you know, I can only surmise that it has to do with uh, Marino's wealth and success. Yeah, well, and there's uh, there's a bit of a connection, too, because Max Miller, of course, is a congressman who worked in Trump's White House uh, before, and there's a connection between Max and and, uh, and Bernie, obviously. So there's, uh, there's a lot going on there, too, that might have, have, have fed into that. Going back to just the results of the debate last night, Paula Bulliard from PJ Media, managing editor in Ohio, and, and you know, I know you noted in your article that Frank LaRose used to be your state senator, and, uh, you know, so you certainly have a, a familiarity with him. Have you seen any polling from last night, instant reaction polling? I have one that I have seen uh, as far as who won the debate among Ohio voters. I have not seen any polling. Um, all I've seen are the campaigns. <clears throat> Every single one saying that their candidate won the debate. So yeah, well that well that's that's of course expected. Um, the Fox <laughs> Eight the Fox Eight uh, poll was was conducted here, and I have it. and I want to pull it up real quick here. Fox Eight asked their viewers. Of course, it was uh, uh, aired on what NBC Four and Fox Eight, uh, who are apparently sister stations somehow, even though they're two different managing companies. That's why you had Colleen Marshall from NBC Four and Joe Tuohy from. From Fox 8. Anyway, Fox 8 shows Frank LaRose, 16% say he won the debate. Matt Dolan, 27% say he won the debate. Bernie Marino, 57% of their viewers. Um, Now, that may be skewed a little bit simply because Bernie is a Northeast Ohioan. uh, And, you know, while Matt Dolan is too, of course, with with the Indians, and Frank LaRose, though, is not as much. But what do you make of 57, 27, 16 from the the people who watched it and, and weighed in on Fox 8? I'd be interested in seeing how many people they surveyed and are these voters, are these likely voters. But, um, you know, and after the debate poll, I think a lot of times has to do with name recognition. And um, the people who vote in something like this tend to be, you know, hardcore debate watchers and people who uh, maybe already have a candidate chosen. But, uh you know, if, if Ohioans think Marino won, then perhaps he did. Yeah, it's and to be, to, 
I'm sorry, I apologize, um, Paula, but uh, to be clear, too, I don't think there's any surveying going on or methodology. This is just more of a click poll on their website. Who do you think won, mm-hmm. you know, of the three? So I don't think there's any surveying or any questions or pushing. It's just you watched it or if you watched it. And, of course, with these, you have to take take it with a grain of salt. You may have people who didn't watch it at all, but they already know who their favorite is, so they just click my guy won. You know, because it's just a mm-hmm. it's just a click poll. So it's one of those things where you really have no idea. But the numbers are what they are. And I'm certain that that's something that Marino will uh, take away from this and use and trumpet going forward. And something that Frank LaRosa and Matt Dolan are going to have to figure out whether or not they put any stock in, in, into it or not. Uh, if you're Sherrod Brown, though, and you're watching that debate last night, uh, any what concerns would you have if you were Sherrod Brown, Paula? Um, I think he's old for one thing you know it, it, you've got three well at least what, what i what i kind of meant by that i apologize i it was pretty yeah. open-ended when i said if you're sherrod brown what i guess i mean is if i'm sherrod brown or if you're sherrod brown and you're watching that debate are you thinking to yourself by the time it's over i hope i don't have to face that guy and and which guy mm-hmm. is that yeah i would say it's the rose that's why it's you know, part of the reason I think he won the debate, um, but he, you know, I'm sure he would also be nervous about um, Marino's money and Dolan's money as they can both self-fund their campaigns. But he's no slack. Sarah uh, Brown's no slacker in fundraising, and he's you know completely walloping everybody else in that area. So I don't think he'd be super worried about that. Um, you know, I think he. Is hope I, I would think he's hoping to get Benny Marino just because he doesn't have experience either campaigning or debating and being so closely aligned with Trump. Um, you know, who knows where what direction he could go in? You know, he seems to align himself with Trump's policies, mm-hmm. and you know, for a Democrat, that's that's what they're looking for. Well, that's a good point. Uh, well, with the exception, of course, with, of the fact that Trump is extremely popular in the state, having won it by eight points mm-hmm. twice. And, and and what I thought Bernie did a good job of last night pointing out, too, is, is he's endorsed not just by Trump, but also by Jim Jordan, who, of course, is extremely popular in this state, and J.D. Vance, who just won the Senate race the last time. Uh, you know, two mm-hmm. years ago. So, so the the fact that he's got some of the biggest names in Ohio in a state that is very favorable to Donald Trump, I would think that Bernie Moreno probably is more of a, uh, I don't know, a, a nervous uh, candidate for Sherrod Brown or somebody that Sherrod Brown would be no, more nervous about simply because of those facts. He's got the support of the entire strong conservative GOP establishment in the state of Ohio. Mm-hmm. Fair point, definitely, and. You know, as you said, Ohio's Trump country. So it is indeed. And he, and he made us. Well, in fact, you know, uh, Bernie said last night he made a he made a comment in the midst of it talking about polls and said that's what third place looks like digging at Matt Dolan. And I know that not long ago, Bernie was in third place, that the polling that I had seen showed LaRose one, Dolan two, and Bernie Moreno three. If he has, and I don't, I haven't seen these, but if he is now at the top of that race, it, it really shows the, the true power and the true value of a Trump endorsement in the state. Yeah, well, the polling actually, um, the most recent is November, which had LaRose up by 10, um, and Moreno in third place, as you said. Uh, so 
or November, LaRose up by three uh, and 10 points over Marino. Yeah, that's, um, a, that's the November. last one I saw. That's when I yeah, But then last right. night he mentioned leading the polls and that Dolan would, was in third place. Um, yeah, so I, I, I don't been know able what to that is. That. Maybe that was an internal poll. The polls I got were from Real Clear Politics that okay. finds, you know, all the polls that are out there. Maybe they missed that one, or like I said, it may have been an internal campaign poll. Right, maybe, but, maybe we're but, gonna have to find that out because yeah. that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah that that's a big deal because mm-hmm. because again, going back to my original question to you about that about Sherrod Brown, who would he not want to face? I would think he would not want to face a Trump supported candidate given Trump's popularity in this state. Um, and if the uh, if those polls are what, the, what he referenced is true, it really really kind of shows how people really swing toward uh, Trump's choice at least in this state. Trump's Trump's um. Uh, endorsements in 2022 didn't carry a ton of weight around the country because I want to say like 11 of his 21 endorsed candidates lost. But in the state of Ohio, it's a different story. He is very, very popular here. It is Trump country, and I think the candidate that he got his endorsement here is going to be a big, big, uh, and I'll be a big uh, hurdle for for Sherrod Brown to overcome. But obviously, are you aware of other debates that are on the way, Paula, by chance? I don't have the dates of them, but I, I know they mentioned on Fox 8 that this was the first debate, so I assume there will be others. There is going to be a candidate forum-style debate, I guess, if you want to call it that, that is being hosted by the Ohio Christian Alliance in Akron next month. I know this because I'm going to actually moderate it. Um, and I know from what I was told, I'm not a part of the setup, but I'm going to ask the questions, um, that... Uh, Dolan, or excuse me, LaRose and Bernie have confirmed they will be there for that. It's not going to be televised. It's just at a, it's at a, it's at an event. Uh, but the Dolan is not yet confirmed. So I know there's at least going to be two of the three there. And then I would imagine there's going to be something else more public in a, on a, you know, television or some other kind of a forum because, uh, this is a, this is too important for Ohio Republicans to screw up when they choose who's going to face Sherrod Brown. Right. And I, the, primary is right around the corner i mean this is a blink of an eye that's going to happen and then everything shifts to the general election march 19th march 19th you're right it is coming very very fast you know it used to be the may primaries and now it's march 19th so it certainly is a much shorter period of time that they're going to have to make their cases uh that they're the right ones to beat Sherrod brown paula i'm so glad i saw your article uh and i'm really even more glad that you answered a quick text saying hey can we do this today because uh i didn't expect it but uh as the pro that you are you handled it perfectly i appreciate that thank you so much thank you bob bye-bye Paula Bolliard, Managing Editor at uh, PJ Media, which is one of the more important news sources, I think, online. It's on my bookmark page every single morning. Uh, so thank you to Paula. We'll take a time out here. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I 
have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay, there is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, hour number three is underway, seven minutes past 11 o'clock. Good Tuesday morning to you. Appreciate you being with us. This month of the year year of our Lord, 2024. Hopefully you uh, skated to work okay this morning. Everything looks good now. uh, Seth, before we uh, invite our guest onto the program, um, you wanted to give a little shout-out to somebody today, right? Yeah, I kind of do. The people that work here at Summit Park Boulevard in our building here, um, today I was pulling into the the parking lot, which was kind of slick, but they had salted and everything. Uh, but the maintenance guy, people that take care of the parking lot, actually stopped his car. And I don't know his name. i got to get his name. But he, he got out of his car, and he saw me getting out of mine. And he took my stuff, and he said, let me uh, help you to the door because I have this prosthetic leg. And so they, he actually walked me from my car to the door, opened the door for me, so I got in safely. And it was, uh, it was very nice. A humbling experience, but very nice. Did you get his name? I did not. I need to get his name because... Uh, but I thanked him repeatedly for, for doing what he does. I mean, the other day when it was snowing, they actually cleared a path from the door to my car, to the door of my car, salted it, cleared it, so I could actually walk without a problem at all. So that was that was awesome. If you uh, if you wiped out, Seth, would you be able to get up? I don't know how that works with the prosthetic. I mean, I know that as a you know normal person would probably, if they fell on the rear end, if they slipped on the ice or whatever, they would get to their knees and then stand up from there. Can you do that? Uh, it would be difficult for me to get up from the ground without having something to pull, kind you of up. pull myself up. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, then you know what? Uh, this is certainly worthy of a can you dig it. Can today. you dig it? <laughs> so that individual helped you. Seeing what your situation was, there aren't enough people doing things like that uh, for my money. Uh, so uh, thank you to that gentleman who uh, who did the right thing. Absolutely. Thank that you. was awesome. All right. Thank you, Seth. All right. Let's bring in Pete now, as we always do on a Tuesday. It's an hour late this time, but we've got him, and we're going to keep him until the end of the show. Peter Kirsten now, of course, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He is an author and a, an attorney and a columnist and a law professor and the host of the Kirsten Hour Report. I think I covered everything on the business card. Pete, good morning. How are you? You know, I'm doing pretty well, uh, all things considered. I'm uh, hopeful we can still preserve the United States of America. Uh, you know, Biden is doing his best to undo it, and we've got, uh, you know, maybe another year almost to the day uh, of this administration. So, um, you know, he can do a lot of damage, as you know, in probably just one day, inadvertently or intentionally. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about the intentionally, because I've been focused on this this morning because the the video is just kind of appalling. It's shocking. Um, as the Supreme Court made their announcement yesterday that they are going to allow Biden to continue to remove razor wire that's installed by the Texas governor for the purpose of protecting Texans, who also happen to be Americans, um, the Supreme Court, Amy Coney Barrett and John Roberts, both went with the left and said they can continue to remove it while they consider this case further. A video has emerged, Peter, that is just it's just a shock to the senses. Biden sent out forklifts to scoop underneath and lift the razor wire in Eagle Pass up high above the heads of the border crossers so that they could walk into the United States unmolested. 
It's one thing to know that the administration is doing something intentionally to allow this invasion, but it's another thing to see it with your own eyes. Here's razor wire. They can't get through. Mission accomplished. Good job, Greg Abbott. Make them turn around and go seek, uh, you know, refuge in, in, uh, in, in Mexico someplace. Here comes Joe Biden. Nope. We're lifting that up so that they can continue their journey across the border. They have just crossed the river and now they're crossing into the United States. Peter, I'm disgusted by the fact that this literal visual embodiment of of surrendering of sovereignty and national security is there, but I'm even more disgusted by the fact that our Supreme Court that we trust to uphold the Constitution has uh, said no. Keep doing it. Uh, we'll we'll tell you if you if you can't do it some at, at some time. Uh, you know, at a, at a later point. Your thoughts? There's a lot. I've got a lot of thoughts, and I could talk for the next. Um frankly, seven, eight hours in a row without stopping. Um, first thing is, I have not read the Supreme Court, which probably is just a, a, a uh, affirming, I'm sorry, uh, overturning the Fifth Circuit. I, I don't know what, what it did, frankly. I don't know. I haven't read it. I'll take a look at it. But thoughts with respect to it based on the facts that I know in the law. To, to um, my understanding, it's a one-page, it's a one-page, one-paragraph yeah, thing. It's, it's not like an right, opinion. It says order well, in. What it I'll, is I'll doing, read it to yeah. you, Pete. It says order in pending case, Department of Homeland Security at Alvary v. Texas. The application to vacate injunction presented to Justice Alito sure. and by him referred to the court is granted. The December 19, 2023 order of the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit case is vacated. Justice Thomas, Justice Alito, Justice Gorsuch, and Justice Kavanaugh would deny the application to vacate injunction. That's all it says. It's one of one. This yeah. is on the Fox News coverage of this thing. So I, I don't know exactly how to read that, but tell us. Yeah, without going into a whole lot of uh, legalese for your listeners and bore them to death, it's not unusual for a superior court, meaning the Supreme Court in this case, or a court of appeals, to allow um, the ruling of a lower court to stand until such time as they have a further opportunity to deliberate upon it and adduce the facts. That's not necessarily unusual. It, uh, you know, but in this particular case, what we've got is we've got blatant facts that, uh, let me back up. This would require maybe an hour to do correctly in terms of a tutorial, but Article 4, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution says that the federal government shall protect each state against invasion. Those are the ex- express terms. Protect each state against invasion. What is 8 million people coming across the southern border other than an invasion? If you can't say that's an invasion, then nothing's an invasion. The Soviets could just, or Soviets or the Russians, the Chinese could come here and simply just supplant the current population, and that wouldn't be an invasion under those circumstances. This is, this is just, you know, the plain meaning of the law. Having said that, I'm not necessarily sure the Supreme Court, um, if all said and done, would uphold this, I mean, on the merits. This is just in terms of, you know, injunctive relief. So, but getting to the merits of this, this is appalling. The, the, the fact that we have an administration that is blatantly flouting its primary obligations to protect the country against invasion, and if, you know, we've seen some of the folks who've come across the border, there's a disproportionate, now first of all, none of them belong here, none of them have a legal right to be here, but second of all, um, you have people who have secondary and tertiary regions for not being here, some of them are, we've got 20,000 that we know of, 20,000 
3,000 military-aged Chinese nationals who've come across the border. Why would they be coming across the border? Well, we know why they'd be coming across the border. There are a number of people from hostile nations coming across the border. There are people, you know, you may have seen the video from the last couple of days. There are at least two people who were interviewed by, I think one was Fox News, another one was some independent journalist, saying, who are you? And they're basically taunting them and saying, well, you're going to know who I am pretty soon, buddy. Uh, I mean, it's, it's astonishing. It's, it's almost as if they're saying, I'm bringing down, the, the, not the Twin Towers, but I'm bringing down whatever replaced it. Okay, yeah. uh, it's stunning, stunning what we're seeing. And the administration is not just tolerating it. It's enabling it in every single way possible. And in addition to that, what they're doing is not just enabling it, but they are encouraging people to come here by doing things such as saying, hey, bottom line, basically, is you're going to get de facto amnesty, but we're giving you work permits to come over here. That's a huge draw. But I would say this. You don't need to have work permits as a draw. What we've seen throughout the country is these people come across, many of them, because they know they're going to get four, three square meals, uh, housing, all kinds of things from the various local agencies and federal agencies out there. And now it's overwhelming Chicago, New York, and other places, all these purported sanctuary cities, um, and, and they can't handle it anymore. This, what, what we're seeing here has, it's unprecedented, obviously, in the history of the United States of America. It is appalling. It is one of the reasons why, um, you know, just the visuals is one of the reasons why immigration is the number one issue in the upcoming election, without question. And if you're wondering which way it's going to go, the vast majority of Americans in various polls have shown they don't like what they're seeing. So if immigration is the number one issue in the upcoming elections and Americans don't like what they're seeing from the current administration, then Republicans, if they are not brain dead, which is, you know, we know what, what happens very often with our Republican Party, would be going nuts in terms of their advertisement, in terms of their speeches, in terms of passing or trying to pass legislation. This shouldn't simply be cosmetic and in an effort to assist the Republican Party in getting seats, because what good is the Republican Party in having seats if they're not going to do anything with it, which is the problem we've had with them for a long time. But they should be using the bully pulpit because they don't have an effective mechanism to do it right now because they don't have the levers of power, but using the bully pulpit, doing everything they can to stop this, because the Biden administration clearly is not on the side of America or Americans. Truly amazing to watch this, Bob. I uh, was discussing this before you came on in the first hour, um, Peter, and I said it reminds me in an odd way of January 6th. Um, There were people who would never, ever, ever have gone into the Capitol had there not been police officers standing there holding the door open and saying, go on in. Right. When you you are encouraged to do something or at least told you are allowed to do it by 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 a police officer, you do not think you're breaking the law. Well, holding up that razor wire with those forks forklifts tells every person around the country that has ever thought to come to to come to the United States that we're welcome now. It's not even breaking their law. They're literally holding the gate open for us. So how does that not encourage more of, you know, we've, I think you said eight and a half, but I don't think that counts the Godaways. I think we're over 10 million now. Right. Counting the Godaways and pacing for 12 million by the end of this calendar or fiscal year. But, but right. Doesn't that tell everybody the time to go is now they're literally holding up the gate for us? Yeah, it does. It, it does. But, but you know, they're getting, they see, they watch the United States of America like hawks, not just our adversaries, but everybody who wants to come here. When we're saying, hey, there's an open door here, and not, not just an open door, most immigrants who came here lawfully came here because they hope to get a job, 
to live the American dream. They're not going to come here to get freebies. Now it's all a function of, hey, the Biden administration is going to give you freebies. What they're trying to do, and, you know, all of our betters are telling us the, dis- the, the displacement theory is just a, a racist talk. No, it's not. The Democratic Party long ago figured out that they keep need to keep replacing American citizens with docile or facile, um, you know, new voters out there because their idiot programs after a while, anybody with an IQ above room temperature understands is not good for them and stops voting for Democrats. But they keep bringing these people over. They're replacing us. Unfortunately, and I've said this very often, I've testified before Congress numerous times on this very issue. The people who are, everyone's going to be hurt by this, everybody. The people who are hurt most are Democrat constituents. And most of all are black males who are supplanted completely in the workforce by this. It's astonishing what's going on here. Maybe that's finally one of the reasons why Trump is getting overwhelmingly, I mean, overwhelming from the standpoint of historical numbers, support from black voters at a level that means it's death for the uh, for for any kind of hope for Biden to win. I want to say that as it's uh, conclusive, but if you look at the figures, it's really an amazing thing to watch. When 22% of blacks say that they support Trump, you you know what I've used, I used to say over and over and over again. For the last 10 election cycles, Democratic Party has not gotten more than 39% of the white vote. So they must have bare minimum, bare minimum, 88% of a robust black turnout to have even the prospect of being competitive in a national election. So they will do whatever they can to you know, encourage blacks to vote. And usually that, that encouragement is by virtue of telling them all kinds of lies, you know, hyping up the fact that the Republican Party is nothing more than the Klan. It's, it, you know the, the program. We've seen it so many times before. But this time, it may be a little bit, a little bit more difficult because black males are getting supplanted in the workforce in a major way by illegal aliens. So uh, it, it's really an amazing thing to watch. It is disgusting. And for any Republican out there who, number one, wants to protect the country, but also from a more personal perspective, if they want to win, continue to stress immigration because all the polls show, for good reason, it's the number one issue among American voters. Peter, we'll use this as a timeout, but I will say, um, let me give you let me give you another minute just to hit this because of what you just said. It's so important <clears throat> and suppression. Headline earlier this morning that I read said they're black Democrats and they are suing uh, the uh, uh, Biden administration uh, for for the migration that continues into Chicago. A bunch of Chicago black Democrats have filed a federal lawsuit. I, I'm going to try to find the articles. Maybe we, we will take the break here. But I saw the headline and I read it. I skimmed it. But they're suing the Biden administration because there are no resources available for the black uh, impoverished people of Chicago because they are all being given to the uh, to the illegal migrants who have been you know funneled up there by by some of the, the southern border states. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Oh, absolutely. And you know this has been something that's been going on for a number of years, but it's at crisis levels now. We've never seen anything like this before by far. Uh, the first time I testified before Congress on this issue and how dire it was, was in 2013. Um, it, it was a huge hearing. It had to do with 
you know, the, the McCain reform, uh, immigration reform bill, which I opposed strenuously, and I was one of only two witnesses to testify. Um, and, but the stress of my testimony had to do with the fact that at that time, when by comparison we had relatively meager levels of illegal immigration, it was still, you know, untenable, but compared to today, but back then, it displaced nearly one million black workers because illegal aliens will work for less, they'll work in, in under conditions that, you know, most people in, who are Americans would complain to the EEOC, the FL, the Wage and Hour Division of the Department of Labor or somebody else. So, yeah, they're going to be, and, and plus, there's a lot of illegal immigrants who are just very good workers, without question, okay? But the bottom line is, they're here illegally, they're being employed illegally, and they displaced nearly one million black workers, and not only that, depressed wage levels for all workers by nearly a dollar per hour. Again, that was 10 years ago. A dollar per hour is real money. So um, this is the kind of thing Republicans need to stress constantly. Forget their wealthy donors who are doing nothing good for America, uh, at least if their wealthy donors are even indifferent to what's going on at the southern border. If they're indifferent, then to me they're traitors, frankly. Yeah, we're being no. invaded. We're being invaded by adversaries, frankly. No, you're you're 100% right. And by the way, I did find it. They're suing uh, Chicago, not the Biden administration. They're shu- suing Chicago, saying that the city is prioritizing the migrants over the black, impoverished people of Chicago. Quote, they're giving migrants all the things we've been asking for since we came here in chains. Uh, end quote. So take that as you will, but they're suing Chicago, and eventually, of course, Chicago's going to say it's not our, far, our fault, it's the federal government's fault. Eventually. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 11.32, I've got one more segment left for Peter Kersenow, who joined us a little bit late today. And uh, Pete, Governor DeSantis made it official. He dropped out on Sunday. He endorsed Donald Trump, as he said he would, pledging to support the Republican nominee. I'm sure that was very, very difficult for him to do. Um, he's an exceptional candidate, an exceptional man, and I think his future is extraordinarily bright. It leaves just Nikki Haley, and New Hampshire votes today. Nikki Haley said this morning that she is not going to drop if she loses. She's going to go to her home state, where she's going to get annihilated, according to the numbers, even more so. But um, she said she needs to be there as an alternative to Donald Trump because Donald Trump brings chaos everywhere he goes. And she believes that stability is something that is an alternative to that chaos that people will gravitate toward. Your response. My response is if he brings chaos, that's the kind of chaos I want. Um, What I've seen is not chaos. It's chaos only if you are a Democrat. Um, but he brings stability. Uh, look, I will take the chaos comes from the Democrats. It's, it, they're constantly suing him. They're constantly indicting him. They're constantly obstructing him. They're constantly making up stories about him, such as Russiagate, which they ran with for three years, every iota of which was utterly false. And don't forget the FBI's involvement in that or the CIA's involvement in that or not, not just Russiagate, but it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, cousin, the the whole thing with the laptop when 51 intelligence, so-called intelligence officials lied about its provenance. I mean, this stuff is incredible. But I'll tell you what, if it's chaos, how about this? Inflation was 1.4% when he left office. Do you remember that? Is that chaos? No. The new car purchases are up approximately, the, the price of new cars is up 
30%, not 3%, 30% since he left, off, left office. I still remember January 16th, just before Biden's inauguration, I was filling up my gas, $2.16 a gallon. Median income was up $7,000 over the course of his presidency, more than anybody else proportionally. Remember the Abraham Accords that the press did not talk about? They would have given, hell, they, they gave... Uh, Barack Obama Nobel Prize within his first 30 minutes of office for doing absolutely jack. He gets an Abraham Accord peace in the, the peace treaty in the Middle East. Everyone's quiet about it. Uh, retirement funds during that period of time, I was watching my 401k, and your listeners were too, up 60%. 60%. Interest rates below 1%. Record low black unemployment. Record low female unemployment. Trade deficit plummeted. I could go on and on. The highest standard of living in history. I like that kind of chaos. And we got three at least purportedly conservative justices. I mean, they could have been, you know, we, we thought at the time that they were great justices, and I still think they do. I mean, I, I can argue with people about that. You're going to get disappointments in terms of policy prescriptions from conservative justices because not everything in the law is consistent with your policy preferences. But that being said, we got three Supreme Court picks that were not picked by a Biden or an Obama. All these things are the kind of chaos I like, and I bet you your listeners like. I, my personal opinion, I will vote for Nikki Haley over Biden anytime. I'll vote for my dogs over Biden anytime. But I am not uh, necessarily the biggest fan of Nikki Haley. I don't necessarily, you know how sometimes, and your listeners probably know this, Bob, and I know you concur, you sense when you have a kindred spirit among you in terms of conservatism, I don't get that sense from Nikki Haley. Not at all. I don't trust her conservatism. I think she is. A lot of people have said it, um, and I think it to be true. And by, again, she'd be 50 times better than Biden, but that's not saying that much. I think she would be, as many people have said, a return to the kind of conservative light or Republican light that we've experienced for so long that basically means, well, we'll go with whatever the Democrats do, but a little bit less. That's not what I want. I think a lot of people want complete and utter upending of the democratic paradigm, the progressive paradigm that has done so much damage to this country. And for that reason, I'll take whatever chaos Trump brings. And again, I'll say it again, it's not Trump bringing chaos, it's those who attack him who purposely bring the chaos. And Nikki Haley has bought into that, and that's one of the reasons I don't trust her. So let's um, let's take a look at the Trump options now as it pertains to a running mate. Um, Some are suggesting that Nikki Haley would still be, when all of this is over, a very, very viable running mate because she is the last person standing, obviously opposite President Trump in this fight. Others say what you said, that they don't trust her brand of conservatism, which is kind of neocon and kind of old guard. Some have said Elise Stefanik. Some have said Christy Noem. Some have said um, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Those are female options. And on the other side, there are potentially people like Tim Scott and Vivek Ramaswamy. Ron DeSantis is absolutely not going to be an option there uh, for a lot of reasons, most of them good reasons for DeSantis. Um, What do you think is the best way for him to go forward? Because we're about to have, Peter the longest general election cycle in American history. This is going to be over probably tomorrow. And so it's just one man against one man. There's no primary. There's no need for, you know, Super Tuesday. There's no need for, you know, conventions. It's going to be nine months of just general election, one-on-one campaigning, and his selection here is going to be huge. What are you thinking? 
I, I agree with that entirely. I think what you do with a vice president, the, the traditional wisdom, well, maybe it's not conventional wisdom, but I think what Trump needs to do and what he will do is get a vice president, number one, who could be you know, a president if something should happen. Um, but probably nothing's going to happen. So the most important consideration is who can expand the electorate? Who can expand your base and make it more likely that you're going to win? either because they are great campaigners on their own or the great fundraisers and can express your policy positions in a way that is attractive to independent voters. Um, you know, Nikki Haley has advantages in that regard. There's no doubt about that. I don't necessarily want her as president, but given the way I've just described the job of a running mate, I think she brings something to the table. Um, I, you know, DeSantis, I concur with you. I think DeSantis is not going to be a vice president mainly because I want him to be president in four years, and I think he'd be an outstanding president. Um, and he should be doing as much as he can in Florida, frankly, to continue to uh, make that state one of the best in the, in the nation. Um, beyond a Nikki Haley, my, my view is don't discount the potential for a Tim Scott elect, uh, selection. Um, I don't know Tim Scott well. I mean, as a member of the Civil Rights Commission, I meet just about everybody who's in Congress. Uh, that's an exaggeration, but I meet a lot of people who are in Congress. I think uh, Tim Scott would be great at expanding the base, especially considering that the Democrats and Biden have a real vulnerability among their most reliable constituency, and that is black voters. If Trump can just peel off a couple percentage points, it's without question inconceivable that Biden could win. Uh, even if they cheat and do everything they want to do, it's just they, they, they can't have any defections from that voter base. It, it's death. And you're hearing a lot of alarm bells going off in, among uh, Democrats in certain circles because they recognize that vulnerability and how, and, and how devastating that would be. So Tim Scott may be a possibility. Um, Beyond that, I don't have any, any – I, I think Vivek, frankly, has a position in the administration if he wants it somewhere. I don't think that he brings anything to the table other than he's extraordinarily articulate, the most articulate person you're ever going to want to meet. But I don't think he persuades any voters on the margin to necessarily go out and vote for Trump. I don't think he, he's going to great any greater enthusiasm. And he, I, don't, I don't know that there's a particular demographic that he necessarily brings to the table. Tim Scott brings a demographic. Nikki Haley potentially brings a de demographic. Uh, so I think you've got to be strategic. I think Trump will be strategic in terms of his selection. And, and you know, who knows what he's going to do. But I think it's probably going to come down. I, I wouldn't discount Trump, you know, getting a Haley to join the ticket. I just don't know if Haley, after all she said about Trump, would join that ticket. Yeah, I can't imagine uh, those two getting together any more than I could uh, Trump and DeSantis. Does Tim Scott really bring the demographic, though? Considering that he would be considered like Larry Elder, like Peter Kersenow, the you know the black face of white supremacy. I mean, he's not viewed as a black man by by black voters. No, no, no. He, I think there's a difference. I think that you know, have to separate black voters from the black intel, so-called intelligentsia and the media and Democrats. But I repeat myself. Um, there are black voters, especially in certain areas in the South, but all over the United States who will be persuaded by a Tim Scott. It's not going to be a huge Democrat, but remember, all they have to do, meaning Trump, is peel off three to four points from the black vote. That's all they need. And Democrats go the way of the Whig Party. They are, Democrats are so dependent on the national election, on a robust, a comprehensive black turnout, that any type of defection puts them in serious electoral peril. 
That's not an exaggeration. Just look at the numbers. And the smart Democrats, James Carville knows that, and he's been talking about this. Um, There are others out there who look at the numbers who aren't just simply blowing smoke at the Democrats and trying to make them feel good. They understand that this is uh, an existential problem for them. And I've always, for the last 25 years, whenever I get to talk to anybody in the Republican Party, I've been on this this drumbeat about they've got to be campaigning in black neighborhoods. Republicans simply cede the black vote to, to Democrats as if there's no way they can make inroads. It's, it's the most ridiculous electoral strategy. I get it from the standpoint of husbanding resources that you want to go to the places where you're more likely to convince people. And given the monolithic nature of the black electorate, the presumption is, well, we're not going to be getting many votes here, so not, we don't spend any time or money here. But that is false. And the fact that if they just peel off just a few percentage points means the Democrats go into oblivion should encourage them to do so. There's plenty of money to be spent out there, and they should be spending it where they can do. It's a twofer. They not only damage. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.